You join me in prayer. Father, we say with the psalmist in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And Lord, this morning, there are truths in your words that can transform. And Lord, these can also just be plain old words to those who shut the door, who are not open, and who won't allow your Holy Spirit to touch and to teach. So I pray this morning that no one will go out like they came in, and that even now you would open our eyes and our minds, our ears, our hearts, that the Holy Spirit could reveal to us your supernatural, eternal, never-changing truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one verse to get us started this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read verse 22. Now, as I shared earlier, we're in a series entitled, the biblical, the series entitled, The Search for Significance. And this morning, we're going to look at the biblical basis for our significance, our worth, our value before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, sets up the whole message. So listen carefully to it. It says, For as... In Adam, emphasize the two words, in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, emphasize the two words, in Christ, shall all be made alive. A whole thing once again, for as in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all are made alive. Every person. No matter what country they live in, no matter their economic background, every person has a desire to feel significant, that their life counts, that that there's some worth in their life. Nobody wants to feel irrelevant and insignificant. Now, I don't believe this need, this drive, this desire that is within us for, for significance comes out of our ego or our pride, I think it comes from God. I think God put within each of us that desire and need to see our life count. And yet, so many people, their lives are characterized by total insignificance. Or as in many cases, the things people have been depending upon for their significance for so long has been kicked out from under them. That's why suicides run rampant. That's why depression is at an epidemic state in America. It's because people are searching and searching and searching for significance, wanting their life to count. Now, last week, we saw that most people have bought in to Satan's big lie about significance. And Satan's big lie about significance says that your significance is determined by what you accomplish compared to others and based upon what others think about you. I am significant, the lie says, if I can perform better than others, and that when others look at me, they say, boy, there's something. And so we set about from the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the jewelry we wear, the the clothes we wear, everything is giving out a message about who I am. Now, the problem with that, is that when you depend 
upon what you accomplish compared to others and what others think about you for your significance, you're going to be a very insecure person because it can all be just kicked right out from under you. Because no matter how well you perform, somebody's going to come along and do better. No matter how many sales records you set, somebody's going to break them. And when you depend on what people think about you for your significance, oh my, people are so fickle. In one former church, I used to keep a collection of letters that people had written to me telling me what wonderful pastor they thought I was and how uh, a good job I did and how they loved me so much that those same people had got mad at me and left the church. I had a whole stack of them. I kept them for a while just to remind me that when people accept you, enjoy it, but don't depend on it because people can change. Now, we saw last week that when you buy into the lie that your significance, your worth, your value is determined by what others think about you and how you perform, that you're going to be insecure and in bondage all your life. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're in that bondage of what are they thinking now? How well am I going to do today? And that's where workaholism comes in and all these things of people being obsessed and compulsive about jobs and what others are thinking about them and how they look and all of these things. It's bondage. And Jesus came to set you free from that. Now, sometimes... Significance is called, uh, it's called self-worth or self-esteem. And I'm not going to quibble about terms, but I believe significance is the key word. And we saw last week that your significance is determined by your identity, who you are. Not by what you do or what others think about you, but by who you are, who you are identified with. Who are you? That's where your significance is really found. Now, before we go any further... We've got to find out what is the biblical basis for true significance. You know, it, it, seems like, it seems like a lot of people today are becoming amateur psychologists. It's, it's even got a name now. It's called pop psychology. It's crept into classrooms. It's crept into pulpits. Uh, you can see it on television, talk shows, in, in the tabloids, at the supermarket, at the checkout lane. Everybody's a psychologist, you see. And, and all these fads and passing fancies of psychology are catching everybody, and it's got their own little catchwords and so forth. But we've got to be careful that we resist the temptation to buy in to the prevailing winds of psychology and be whipped back and forth. And we've got to set our anchor in the unchanging, infallible, inerrant Word of God that never changes. And that's where the truth is found, and that's what we've got to buy into. Now, it's obvious that there are lots of problems in this area of significance. One Christian counselor does something that, that I'd like to do this morning if we had time. And since we don't have time to do it, let me just kind of ask you. He, in his seminars, he passes out a little index card. And he asks people to write the answer to this question. When God looks at you, what does he see? When God looks at you, what does he see? Well, you answer that, just in your own mind there. Well, the answers he get back, I think, are probably, probably the same as some of the answers we get back this morning. One person put on their card, I think God feels sick when he sees me, disgusted, disappointed. Another, he's sickened at me. Another, he sees a troubled and very misinformed baby. You know, when we feel God sees us like that, that as God looks at us, He's sort of sick at us and disgusted with us and really would like to zap us. 
How are you going to obey Hebrews 4.16 that says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How are you going to come into God's presence with your needs? How are you going to come before Him with praise and worship and adoration when you feel like when God looks at you, He gets sort of sick? Oh, how we desperately need a biblical view of who we are, of our significance, of our worth. Now, receiving Jesus Christ is the first step, but then begins the process of renewing our minds with the Word of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we're going to first of all look at man's basic problem. And the basic problem that man has is sin. S-I-N. That's it. Now, let's look first of all then at the entrance of sin. You see... Most people, if you ask them, what is your problem? It would be tied into some person or some circumstance. We think our problem is people, other people, and our circumstances. But that's really not the problem. People and circumstances just reveal the real problem. Uh, Most people don't know what their problem is. Somebody facetiously put it this way. (laughs) Your problem is that you don't know what your problem is. You think your problem is your problem, but that's not the problem at all. Your problem is not your problem, and that's your main problem. Well, uh, a little bit of a tongue twister, but I think you've got the meaning. Now, the real problem, the root problem, is the effects of sin. Now, you're never going to understand why people struggle with a lack of significance and why they're searching in all the wrong places for acceptance of others and through their performance and all these other things. You're never going to understand why people are searching so desperately for significance until, first of all, you understand what happened when sin entered into the world. And to understand that, we've got to go way back, way, way, way back to the first three chapters of Genesis. Now, other than God Himself... The key character in the first three chapters of Genesis is a man named Adam. Adam was God's first human being that he created to propagate the human race. Adam was a real literal person. If anybody ever stands up and tells you Adam was not a literal person, he's just symbolic, that person has bought into Satan's lie because that's not true. Adam was a literal person, and if he was not, you can take the whole book of Romans, tear it out of your Bible, and throw it away, because the whole book of Romans basically is built upon the premise that Adam was a real person. Now, the Bible tells us that when God first created Adam, that um, there there was unclouded, intimate communion and fellowship with God. But then the Bible tells us, and in our text in 1 Corinthians 15, we read earlier, that something happened. Something died in Adam, and and whatever that was, it affected us. We died in him. Now, um, what happened? What really died? Uh, And what does it mean when it says we were in Adam? Let's look at that concept of being in someone in the Bible because it's fairly common. It says of, of Levi that Levi was in Abraham 400 years before Levi was ever born. And, and it says that we were in Adam when, when some judgment was pronounced upon Adam that affected us. In fact, Romans 5.12 says that, that wherefore as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men and that all of sin, that is when Adam sinned, his death, passed upon all of us. We were affected by that. Well, what does it mean to be in someone? Well, to be in someone means that he is our family head. And as our family head, he's left us four things. You've got to remember these. All right, I'm going to bring them back, so stick them in your memory banks, lock them in, don't let them out. To be the head, our family head, to be in someone means he's given us his name, his nature, his inheritance, and his destiny. Okay, that's what we have. 
And so we are, the Bible says, in Adam. Now, from a biological standpoint, that's true. You know, with all the studies we've done now about genetics and so forth, did you know that with Adam being the literal head of the human race, that you were in Adam. You were in Adam's gene pool. You know, we all came from him. So biologically, we were in Adam. Figuratively, we were in Adam as the head of the human race. We were in him. Now, God gave Adam that unclouded fellowship and communion, uh, and, and Adam walked with the Lord. But the Lord gave one test, and there was one tree. God said to Adam, he said, all that you see is yours, with one exception. Now, we'll, we'll just call it the no-no tree. That's not what the Bible calls it, but that, that gets the concept across. And God said, you need of everything but one, the no-no tree. And he said, well, why did God put that there? Well, there had to be a test. You see, God desires from us loving obedience. And how are you going to lovingly obey the Lord if there's not an opportunity to disobey? The, the, the test was the minimal. God didn't say you can't eat of any of the trees, only this one. He said you can eat of any of them, only the no-no tree. Don't touch it. In fact, God said that when you eat of that tree, He says the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Not hundreds of years later, not way down the road when you get old and decrepit. He said before the sun goes down, you're going to die. Well, what died? Well... Adam's body didn't die after he sinned. Uh, his soul didn't die. What died was his spirit. Adam's spirit died toward God. That part that allowed Adam to walk with God and to have intimate communion and fellowship with God, to really know God, that part of Adam died. Remember, after sin came in, before it said that Adam and Eve had walked in the garden with the Lord, but after sin came in, they ran for the bushes, covered themselves up. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they got fig leaves and, and all that. I imagine they, they looked real nice, but uh, God saw right through that. And God had to go seeking them. And so there was a separation there. Now, here's the point I want you to get. Don't miss this. If all this has sounded fuzzy so far, maybe this will clear it up. The fact is that Romans 5.12 and other Scripture passages tell us that when Adam's spirit died toward God, you and I were in Adam and we died in him. Therefore, every child of Adam who has ever been born, and that includes everybody that's ever been born, save one, Jesus. That's why he was born of a virgin. He escaped all this. Every natural born child of Adam has been born with a spirit that's dead toward God. Ephesians 2.1 describes every person apart from Christ and says that they are dead in their trespasses and sin. We're not physically dead apart from Christ. We're not soulishly dead apart from Christ, but our spirits are dead toward God. And while we can know all kinds of facts about God, you can't know God. And so there's a spiritual problem, a spiritual death. Now, somebody wrote a tract one time. I, I, I didn't see a copy. I just heard about it. I, I think I'd like to write one like this. It was really, it was really a good one. On the outside of this tract, it was a beautiful tract. And it, here was the title. It says, What You Must Do to Be Lost. And when you open the tract up, it's empty. There's nothing in it. Why? What do you have to do to be lost? To be born. We're born in Adam. And so in Adam, we received his name. We're all children of Adam. That's how we're born. We received his nature, a sinful, rebellious nature. You don't have to teach children to sin. Uh, it comes natural. Uh, we received His inheritance, which is condemnation. We received His destiny, which is separation from God forever. We were born in Adam. And as our text says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, In Adam all die. 
Now, do you see why it's impossible for anyone in Adam to have true significance? Do you see why it's impossible apart from Christ to have significance? Because if you are not, if you're in Adam, you're identified with a loser. And I got news from Mr. Ted Turner, who said Christianity is for losers. Mr. Turner, the losers are those who have missed out on the whole purpose of life. Those who have rejected Christ. Those are the losers. I think Ted Turner and Jane Fonda deserve each other. That was all extra. Anyway, uh, you can just leave that and take, take that off the tape. But anyway, uh, I couldn't pass that up. And so we see then, first of all, the entrance of sin. It came when sin came through Adam. Now, secondly, I want you to see the external symbol. God's given us an external symbol to show us in picture form what happens when a person becomes a Christian. And here's where true significance comes from. When I'm taken out of Adam and I'm put in Christ. Now, that external symbol is baptism. Now, watch this. As God looks at us, as He sees every person on the face of this earth, God sees us all as being identified with one of two people. Either you are in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, all die. You were born in Adam. So the question comes, how do I get out of Adam from being identified with him, which is a losing proposition, which, which totally destroys my self-worth, which totally destroys my esteem, my significance, being identified with one who has condemnation and, and has, has a destiny of being separated from God. How do I get out of Adam and be put in Christ? Well, in baptism, you see that picture symbolized. Now, throughout Christian history, there have been big controversies over baptism how you do it, when you do it, baptizing babies, baptizing uh, only when they're an adult, and baptizing at all different ages, and when and how, and you sprinkle them, put them under, how do you do it? All, it shouldn't surprise us there's been so much controversy because it's something so important the devil's going to cause the controversy. Now, baptism, almost every Sunday night we see someone baptized up here. When someone is baptized, what does it, what does it symbolize? It's obviously a symbol. That doesn't have any magic to it up there. What? What does it symbolize? Well, somebody says it symbolizes salvation. Well, that, that would be right. It does. But let's get a little more specific than that. Exactly what does it symbolize in salvation? Well, listen carefully. The literal meaning of the word baptize means to dip or immerse. That, that's the Greek meaning. In fact, there wasn't even an English word until they translated the King James Version of the Bible. They just took the, English, the, the Greek word baptizo and made an English word out of it, baptize. And it means to dip or immerse. It was used by the ancient Greeks of the process of dyeing cloth. For instance, if I had a white cloth and I wanted to make it red, what would I do? Well, I'd have to get a vat of dye. And, and, and I would have to put my white cloth on a stick and then I'd baptize the cloth into the dye. And when the cloth came out, it wasn't what went in. It went in white, it came out red. It took the characteristics of that which it was immersed dipped into. Now, watch this. Water baptism. This, this, what we do up here. Water baptism symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, when a person comes to the place that they realize that they're a sinner, that they're in Adam, and you don't have to know all the details about that, but knowing that they can't save themselves, 
and they recognize that Jesus on the cross paid for their sins. He did what they could never do. And they put their faith and their trust in His finished work on the cross and say, Lord, I trust in You. By faith, I believe that what You did paid for my sin. I receive You into my life. The Bible says that at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes us out of Adam and puts us in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, uh, For by one Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, for by one Spirit have we all been baptized, immersed into, dipped into, totally identified with. We have all been baptized into one body, which is the body of Christ. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of salvation when we're taken out of Adam and we're put in Christ. Water baptism is a symbol of that. It symbolizes total identification with Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit, watch this, when the Holy Spirit takes you out of Adam and puts you in Christ, now you're in Christ. Remember what I said being in someone meant? It meant that you take their name, you have their nature, You have their inheritance and you have their destiny. When we're put in Christ, we now are called a Christ one. That's what the word Christian means, a Christ one. We have His name. We have His nature. 2 Peter 1, 4 says we have become a partaker of the divine nature. We have His inheritance. Romans 8, 17 says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then we have His destiny. We're going to spend eternity with the Father conformed into His, into Jesus' likeness. Romans 8, 29 says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. We now are out of Adam in Christ. That external symbol of baptism shows it. When you stepped out of Adam into Christ, Jesus stepped out of heaven into you and made you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And that is your identity. Becoming a Christian is not getting something, it's becoming someone. It's becoming a Christ one. You're identified with Jesus Christ. Every time somebody's baptized, and that's why we're sticklers for doing it the way we do it, by immersing them. Every time somebody's baptized, that's not the point of their salvation. That is the symbol, the object lesson, the testimony, that they have now been totally identified with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and His resurrection from the dead. Now, let me illustrate what I mean. And I want to give you just a silly illustration. And if your last name is Jones, as mine is, please pardon me. Be a good nature. Don't get offended. We're going to go to a strange land, new, and I'm going to give you a silly little illustration. And in this strange land, I was born a Jones. And that's bad. Because the Joneses have a real bad family name in this imaginary land. In fact, there's even a saying going around. He's worthless as a Jones. And so, here I am. Feeling totally insignificant because I'm a Jones. I wish I could be a Smith. Boy, the Smiths, they've got a good bloodline. They've got a great reputation. In fact, when somebody does something good, they say, boy, the They must be a smith. Uh, Everybody wants to be a smith. But I'm a Jones. Boy, do I feel insignificant. So what I decide to do is I decide I'm going to work my way into being a smith. So I watch the smith, and I observe how they dress, and I dress that way. I listen real closely to how they talk, and I talk that way. I look like a smith. 
dress like a smith, comb my hair like the smiths comb their hair. I even go to Smith family reunions. When the smiths all get together, I join with them. And so now, if I look like a smith, dress like a smith, uh, act like a smith, I'm a smith. Not. No. Just a cheap imitation. Just a Jones trying to act like a smith. So finally my frustration, I throw up my hands and I say, two things that have to happen in order for me to be a smith. Number one, I'd have to die to be in a Jones. And then I'd have to be born into the Smith family. Beginning to sound familiar? That's exactly what happens, dear friend, when you become a Christian. We who are in Adam, you can act like a Christian. You can try to, you can try to reform your life and change your life. I, a sportscaster, Harry Callis, said about a, a, a play, baseball player on the Philadelphia Phillies one time. He gave a classic line. His name was Gary Maddox. And he said, he said Gary Maddox has, has totally changed his life around. He says he used to be miserable and depressed, and now he's depressed and miserable. Well, that's about all we can do. And trying to change ourselves, we can try to act like a Christian, look like a Christian, join in when Christians gather together for their family reunion every week. We can do all that, but you're still in Adam. And the only way you're going to be taken out is to die to that old life. And that's why Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that the, our old man, who we were in Adam, that our old man was crucified with him. That's death. And we who are dead in Christ now, in Jesus' terminology in John 3, we've been born again, born into Christ's family. The old us, dead, the new us, born into Christ. We who were in Adam are now in Christ. My significance is found not in what I do, not in what others think about me, but in the fact of who I am. I am a Christ one, a Christian totally identified with Jesus Christ. He is my identity. He is my security. And He promised to never leave me and never forsake me. And He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while everything around me changes and my performance may change and some debilitating thing might happen to me, cancer may come and take my voice away, uh, I may become crippled and can't perform, I may, I may be rejected by everyone else because of a misunderstanding or a lie told, all of those things may happen, but this relationship where my significance is found in Christ will never, ever, ever, ever change. That's security. And so we see, then, our eternal significance is found in our identity in Jesus Christ. Once again, the biblical basis of true significance is in being in Christ. Do you really know it? Have you been transformed? Do you see how foolish it is to think that by going through a class or saying a bunch of little words is going to change your whole identification, your whole destiny? No, dear friends when you come to the place of confessing and realizing that you're a sinner and you can't do anything to save yourself any more than a, than a person of one family could, could naturally come into another family. No amount of work, no amount of, of finagling or fooling could ever do that. And even so, in fact, the Bible says a leopard could easier lose its spots and an Ethiopian could change the color of its skin, Jeremiah said, easier than you could be made right with God through your own works. Isaiah looked at it and said, all of your righteousnesses are like filthy rags in God's sight. But it's when I confess that I can't do anything about it, but I believe that Jesus paid for my sin, and I right now do trust Him and receive Him into my life as 
simply by prayer, I invite Him in. At that moment, the Holy Spirit takes me out of Adam, puts me in Christ. I am now in Him. That is the biblical basis for true significance. As I said last week, the search for significance ends with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father.